you read my report, report, you will see that I had opportunity to preach twice, which was a great thrill for me. Um, and um, I'm not going to preach any of those sermons this morning. That was fresh bread I baked in Africa. I've baked fresh bread for you this morning. And I know you're going to be disappointed because I'm not talking about physical bread. I'm talking about spiritual bread this morning. But... Um, Hey, I want to look at a story this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, the scripture is written for our instruction. It instructs us how to live. Now, the scripture talks to us about truths about God and principles and relates the activity of God in human history, yes, but part of the, the purpose of the Scripture is that we would read the stories of those who were living in the light, as we are describing this summer, or quite honestly, those who were not living in the light. And we allow those stories, those characters, to instruct us how we are then to live. It was written for our instruction. So... Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, For all Scripture is given by the inspiration of, of God, by God, by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. I want to look at a story that is really a negative illustration this morning. Uh, this is the way we are not supposed to live, and it comes from, interestingly enough, the first king of Israel, who was King Saul. And the word that is spoken to him is spoken by the prophet Samuel. Now there's history. We don't have time to cover this morning. <laughs> but uh, before Saul was king, Samuel was the spokesman of God and was the leader of Israel. And God related to Israel as a theocracy. The prophet would speak and tell the people what they needed to know. And the people came to the point, if you read 1 Samuel, they wanted a king like all the other nations around us. And God tells Samuel, <laughs> it's not about you. But we're going to give them a king. And um, the first king is Saul. And uh, sometimes I think it's kind of like sometimes when your kids ask for things that aren't the best, you just go, no, okay, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give that to you. And let's see how that works out for you. And it didn't work out particularly well for Israel. But if you know historically what he does is then God sets up the king who becomes the epitome of all kings, who is a man after God's own heart, David. In fact, even in, as we read this narrative in, in 1 Samuel 6, uh, 15, uh, David has already been introduced into the story and is already a part of the narrative. But I want us to see the truths in Saul's life so that we can apply those truths to our own lives 
And as I read, and this is a lot of reading, but basically I'm just going to read this scripture and make a few points, uh, draw some conclusions at the end. But I want us, as we read the story this morning of Samuel and Saul and the Amalekites, I want you to identify, and I'll help you with this as we read through it, the forces that led Saul to go astray. So the prophet's going to say, here's the road that God tells you to walk. And we're going to see that Saul gets off that road. And I want us to identify in the story the forces in Saul's life that led him to get off the road with the intent, with the assumption that the same things that led Saul astray will be the things that lead us astray. Is that fair enough? So let's begin in verse 1. And let me just, it's 35 verses. I've never had a text this long. Um, but let me just make a few comments as we read the story. First uh, Samuel 15, verse 1. Samuel, the prophet, also said to Saul, who is the king, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. In fact, that's kind of interesting that even before Saul makes a decision, the prophet has said, heed the voice of the Lord, and almost as if he knew what was about to happen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy that's going to be our phrase, and that's the word. That is the commandment of God that's going to be used throughout this. Utterly destroy. He's going to use it numerous times. All that they have, here's the second phrase, and do not spare them. Utterly destroy, do not spare. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Verse 7, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Verse 8, <laughs> He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Hmm. Doesn't sound like utterly destroying. But he's the exception, because it says, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Only exception, only exception was the king Agag. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared, utterly destroy, 
do not spare. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, and the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. So just make a note. They made a judgment in their minds what was best and what was good, and they were unwilling to utterly destroy it. Verse 10, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up, notice this phrase, a monument for himself. We'll come back to that. And he has gone on around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, notice his word, words, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, you, you just, sometimes I think we say things to try to get out in front of the curve, and it's like, huh? It's just an odd statement that he would come to the prophet and say, Oh! First thing I want to say is I have performed everything that God told me to do. Oh, but Samuel, one of the classic lines in the scripture, but Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Hmm. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord our, your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Hmm. That scripture is significant because it tells what was in their mind. Why did they spare it? They spared it to sacrifice to God. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? That is a flashback to when Saul anointed, sorry, when Samuel anointed Saul. And they called all the people and they got it down to Saul and he was going to anoint him. They couldn't find him. Where was he? He was hiding that day. He was little in his own mind, in his own eyes. And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy 
the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them till they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, we'll come back to this, took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, also another classic quote in the scripture, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. You decided it would be the best to offer these best things to God. God just wanted you to obey what he told you to do. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Clay, I'm going I'm I'm to tone it down. I'm going I'm to bring it down. Cain is like, why is that man screaming up there? Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, I'm glad we've dismissed the children at this point, bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And this is what the King James Version says, and Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord. In Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul 
until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And here's the last phrase. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. When I read that story, I know that's lengthy. There are three forces that lead Saul astray. And here's, here's my point for the day. And, and Chandler, we can just leave this point up there from now on. Social, mental, and emotional forces lead us astray from God's Word. I want you to see from the story it was true for Saul. It's a truth for us that social, mental, and emotional forces lead us astray from God's Word. We see in the story there were social forces that led Saul to go astray. Um, social, the people around him. The people around him, there was pressure. And Saul says this on a number of occasions. But you get this picture throughout the story of Saul who was insecure in his image before his people. And so I think that's the reason in verse 12 it says that he built, an, uh, he built a monument for himself. It's, I don't know that you've, we've seen this in the scripture. They've built monuments when God did something. But it doesn't appear that Saul did it for God to say, look at the great victory that God has brought to us. It was like, no, I built a monument for myself. Why? Because he wanted to bolster his image. Um, he says in verse 15, when he's really pinned down, that it was the people that spared the best. You get this picture that Saul didn't want to tell him no. That's not what God said. And he, he gave in, he caved to what the people thought was best. He, he says this again in verse 21, but the people took of the plunder. And then he, it really as the story goes on, it, just, it really gets down to it because in verse 24, he says, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. One of the forces that leads us away from God's Word is a social force that we listen to the voice of others instead of listening to the voice of God. We honor man more than we honor God. I think of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many that find it. I know he also says narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life and there are few that have find it. But Jesus said the mass of people are going one way and the tendency will be to go with the flow of the people. Just know that one of the forces that leads us away, astray from God's word will be social forces but there is also in the stories you read it, there is this mental force in which Saul and the people lean in their own understanding, their own wisdom, instead of God's wisdom. They did what made sense to them. In fact, I think that was the reason they spared Agag in the beginning. Because it's like, hey, this is, 
Typically, this is what you do, and I think it would be kind of a good publicity stunt to be able to parade the king of the Amalekites, Agag, around. We've captured him. We've got him. And I think it made sense to them. It's like, ah, let's don't kill him because you just kill him in battle, and he lays there, and people wondered, well, did we kill the king? Now, here we got the king right here with us. They thought it was in their best interest to keep Agag alive and maybe parade him about. The other thing that strikes me is this word best. Verse 9, they spared the best. It's like, you understand best is a value judgment that we make in our minds. It was not what God told them to do. They decided, you know what, it really makes more sense that we, why would we slaughter all of the best of this? That doesn't make any sense. We're going to keep it. And I, then I think they came up with this great solution. It's like, ah, it's such a waste. It's kind of funny. They, uh, uh, it's like everything, dis- verse 9, everything despised and worthless. Ah, that they utterly destroyed. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's not very good anyhow. We're just going to kill that. But this is really good stuff. But how do they rationalize it in their minds? Oh, we will sacrifice this to God. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be honoring to God? The very best we've brought to Him. And you see this phrase again in verse 15, the best. But I think also there's insight in verse 17 when Samuel says, when you were little in your own eyes. And it speaks of a humility of mind that says, I can't lean on my own understanding. Uh, and you get this sense of when Saul is hiding among the equipment the day that Samuel is going to anoint him. It's like, ah, I don't really have an idea of what I think is best. It's just like, I'm going to have to depend upon what God decides best. But once he becomes king, then there is this, this ah, I think I really understand this and know this. And I have a certain human wisdom that I can depend upon. You see, this mental force within ourselves says that I believe I know what is best. I think of the words of Solomon when he says, this is my wife's favorite verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths we see in the story there was this mental force in which Saul and the people say we know what is best what is wise we will depend upon our own human wisdom the third is an emotional force Let me say before I kind of describe this that it's interesting to me in in this story we see the social, mental, and emotional force. Quite honestly, in our lives, it only takes one of these to lead us off. It could be peer pressure. It could be, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. Or it could be what's going on inside of us in our emotional being, how we feel about something This is really highlighted in in verse 9 when it says, but they were unwilling to utterly destroy everything. 
they were unwilling. In their hearts, they didn't want to. And it's not just that there was pressure from outside or it didn't make sense to their minds, but it just came down to that. It's actually what the scripture describes as the will inside of us. It's where we choose. It's our want to. It's our feelings. And they just didn't want to. They didn't want to. They were unwilling. Um, I believe it's highlighted in verse 23 when Samuel speaks and he says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity as as is iniquity and idolatry rebellion and stubbornness rebellion says in my heart in my will where I choose where my want to is I want to do what I want to do that's rebellion stubbornness is is a, is a close cousin <laughs> uh, stubbornness just says no that's what I'm gonna do I've always done that and I will continue to do that and I you can't tell me what to do this is what I'm gonna do I'm glad I don't know anybody like that what the preacher wants to say is I'm glad I'm not like that and my wife's like rolling her eyes inwardly she doesn't roll her eyes outwardly she just rolls them inwardly thinking right buddy stubborn Rebellion and stubbornness. See, this emotional force is I want to do what I want to do. It doesn't matter what God says. No, really, the way I feel, and I just don't want to do that. And so in Saul, all these forces gathered together, the social force, the mental force, the emotional force. I say this, the scripture is written for our instruction. We see this in Saul that we might see it in ourselves. And to know that there will be, social, there will be a social force of pressure from people not to live in the will of God according to his word. There will be a mental force that says, that doesn't make any sense to me. And there will be an emotional force, maybe all three, only one, in certain circumstances. I, I don't really want to. I, I don't feel it. You know, the classic example of that is love and marriage. Let me just tell you. Oh, some of y'all, we've had this conversation in my office recently. Premarital counseling, okay. No, you just choose. It doesn't matter how you feel. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be preaching right at Emma and Nathan. Um, no. It doesn't matter how you feel. Feelings will come and go. You choose. God commands us to love. It has to go beyond our feelings. I want to close with this verse 35. That last statement. That says, nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Those are, those are sad words. 
Because what did, what did God want from Saul? Did he, did he need someone who could take public opinion polls and decide what they ought to do? Did he need someone to live according to his own wisdom? Or to make decisions based upon how he felt that day? No, God just says, I need you to obey what I've told you. And my prayer is that we may honor God more than we honor man. That we would trust in God's wisdom more than our own. And that we would surrender our will to do what He says is best, whether we feel like it or not. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand? Let me lead us in prayer. At the end of the prayer time, I will make Byron's announcements. All right? Father, today, we pray that we would see these forces in our lives on a daily basis. Father, we would identify them. We would know them that they are there to lead us astray. And I pray that you would help us to see them, to identify them, and that, Father, then we would honor you, we would trust you, and we would surrender to you that we might walk in your ways. And so we pray that our lives would glorify you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.